The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. All right, let's go now to Mark chapter 1. If you haven't figured it out, we are marching through each gospel and looking at the person of Christ the, the incarnate Christ from each gospel. And we looked at Matthew last week. We're looking at Mark this week. And here is what we read in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we, we pause to come to you right now because we need your presence. Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have spoken through your word. And so now we just pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the reality of Jesus and to see him as our king and receive him as our king. Father, open our hearts, help us to see new things, help us to see old things in new ways. But God, may we see Jesus as king, reigning, and may we see our role as servants and children, followers. Holy Spirit, you know my need for you this morning, and so I cry out to you, come Holy Spirit, come. Empower your word. Use a weak and broken and sinful servant for your glory. Do so much more than what I can do. Get to our hearts, O oh God. Get to our souls. Captivate us with the person of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So COVID was a dark uh, and bleak season. I think we can all agree to that. But like in any time of suffering, I mean, if you think, if you look historically at times of suffering and trials um, in any culture at any time, what you see is that um, light is always shining. I mean, the best music, the best art, the best literature comes out of pain, not prosperity. And, and on a much lighter note uh, in that whole reality, one of the things that that really captivated me and our family is, was John Krasinski's uh, Some Good News. And uh, this was uh, his way of bringing some, some, uh, some cheer, if you will, some, uh, some humor and some positiveness to a very dark and bleak time. And what he did is basically just set up in his home office a little news anchor station uh, with hand-painted signs around, and uh, it was really ridiculous. Um, but he, in about 15 to 20 minutes, would, would give us just good news from around the country. And I remember the, probably the most special one um, was his one that he did in May. When all the graduations were being canceled, he held a mock graduation. And he had speakers to address the graduates of 2020, those that were being robbed of the graduation. He had Oprah Winfrey speaking to the graduates. He had Steven Spielberg. He had Samuel L. Jackson. He had a host of people bringing, you know, just encouragement to the class of 2020. And that particular um, episode got 4 million views. 
And you look at that and you say, how can something like that, just some guy giving some good news in a very dark time, go viral? It is because we were built for good news. We weren't built for the evening news. We were built for good news. We weren't built for the local news. We were built for good news. We weren't built for bad news. We were built for good news. And dear friends, this is what Jesus came to proclaim and be for us, the gospel. The gospel means good news. And, and, and this is what Jesus brings, proclaiming the gospel of God came Jesus. And it was brilliant. Listen, I mean, this is the, the gospel that the, the news that he brings is the best news po possible. It's the summit of good news. That's what Isaiah was getting to. In Isaiah 52, 7, when he, he, he declares, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, who, by the way, is in uh, Babylon, by the way, who is in exile, whose enemies are surrounding them, they're oppressed, they are slaves, and here's the good news, uh, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. When it looks like God doesn't reign, the news of the gospel is your God reigns. And what is the good news? Why is that such good news? We go on in verses 8 through 9. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. What Isaiah is saying is there is some, some substantial good news for the people of God, and that is God reigns, and when God reigns, he brings substantive hope and comfort, for he comes to rebuild and to renew Jerusalem. He comes in power to bring hope to the hopeless, and all other good news just pales in comparison to that. This good news, this gospel news that Jesus comes to proclaim and actually be for us is what distinguishes Christianity from any other religion. Every other religion has good advice. Follow this path to receive enlightenment. Live like this and not like this to receive good karma. It's good advice, but Christianity has good news. The Lord Jesus has come in power and might and defeated the enemies of sin and death. And he is coming again one day, someday, to make all things new, to make all bad good, to dry every tear and so forth. We have good news, not good advice in the Lord Jesus Christ because he is king. And that's what's being pronounced here in Mark chapter 1. Let's unpack this. The first thing we need to see is the, quote, God with us, end quote, is king. Last week, Michael Rhodes, if you, didn't listen, if you hadn't heard that sermon, you need to go back and listen to it because he did a masterful job of showing us that not only is the message of, of Christmas God with us, but the message of the scriptures is God with us. He started in the garden, and then he goes to the wilderness and the tabernacle. Then he goes to the temple, and then he even shows that when the temple was destroyed and God's people were taken captive in exile, that, that even God was with them in exile, and certainly the long-awaited uh, Jesus came in the person, in, in, in incarnate flesh at Christmas. 
God with us is great hope. But Mark wants us to hear this morning that the God with us is the king. That's who he is, and that is incredible news. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. You see, this was much anticipated for hundreds of years. We see it first promise in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 6 to Abraham. God says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 1 Chronicles 17 says the same thing. Friends, a king is what is promised because our greatest need is for a king who reigns. And yet it is a king who reigns, that is the very one that was rejected in the garden and the very one that we reject today. We need a king. Look at it in the garden. God is the one who created Adam and Eve. He gave them the ground rules, as Mary Sheldon told us about. He, he gave us the law, if you will. And yet what did Adam and Eve do? Oh, thank you so much for the law. Thank you so much for telling me which fruit not to, uh, which tree not to eat from. No, that, the only rule they had, they broke. Why? Because they wanted to be king. They wanted to be queen. They wanted to be in control. They didn't want to be led. They wanted to lead. They didn't want to submit. They wanted others to submit to them. They didn't want to live under the word. They wanted their words to have power. They wanted to rule, and they wanted control. And friends, so do you, and so do I. A king is what we need. We put our stamp of approval on this whole idea of being kings and queens in our day. Listen to the language that we use. I'm taking control of my life. I'm taking my life back. I am mapping out my own destiny. In um, the Game of Thrones, one of the main characters says, I will do what queens do. I will rule. I read uh, in a magazine this week that was addressing this whole idea of being a queen. Uh, quote, a queen is somebody in her force, accepting all that she is, embracing her weaknesses and strengths. Believe in the royal highness within the sovereign in you will rise above all the struggles and turmoil you come across. Recognize, embrace, and celebrate the grace, classy, and warrior queen in you. And friends, the most dangerous lies, the lie that has some element of truth, we are fellow heirs with God. We will be kings and queens one day, but only under the lordship of Christ. It's not, we are not, we don't get real freedom by drawing boundaries and not letting people run over us. We get real freedom by drawing boundaries, not let people run over us necessarily in submission to King Jesus doing his will, not my will. It's not about me getting on the throne. It's about me coming under the, in, in, in submission to the King Jesus. That is where real life is found. In fact, the essence of our humanity where we are most human is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
under his kingship, listening to him, doing his will, following his will. And when we push that away, we do not flourish, but in, 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 in fact, we become more enslaved. When we start making the rules, when we start stop submitting to Jesus, King Jesus, and we start making the rules, life goes out of control. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, is making this point. And in essence, he, um, he talks about um, a time in, uh, he really goes through the um, um, sexual revolution, the history of the sexual revolution in the 1960s. And what he shows is that as culture began to throw off morality and throw off the rules that God has, has given, um, culture did not flourish, but we became less happy, more anxious, and so forth. Um, he, he, he writes this, he says, happiness levels have been in decline in the U.S. since interest, interestingly the 1960s. And then he goes on, some deeply concerning facts related to attachment theory are also worth noting. I alluded to this last week. In spite of the cultural narratives uh, that state otherwise, divorce is a traumatic event for children of all ages. And we're learning it's directly tied to the rising number of people who struggle to develop intimate, healthy relationships in adulthood. Anybody? Anybody struggling with attachment issues? I'm out front on that one. Psychologists argue that the drop in those who identify as having secure attachment is wreaking havoc in our society. He goes on, consider that divorce, while cited as an example of liberation from patriarchy, has been shown to disproportionately benefit men and therefore oppress women. Or those that, who cohabitate before marriage are less likely to marry, are more likely to get divorced if they do, and often develop long-term trust issues. He, he chronicles page after page how rejecting the rule of God, rejecting the authority of God has made us less happy and has brought us to a point where we're not flourishing at all. Instead of liberation, we are walking right deeper into enslavement. And that's always the path that is away from Jesus and away from his rule. So secondly, we need to see that our king's rule is good news. Our king's rule is good news. What does this mean to believe in Jesus at King's? It means to receive every circumstance from King Jesus. Everything that we're going through is from his hand. And you say, Richard, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what I'm going through. Well, some of you do know what we are going through. Saturday a week ago, we got word that my mother, who's in a nursing home, um, had a UTI infection and was literally out of her mind. And Rachel and I had planned to go see her, but before I, it, we even got to get on the road to go see my mother, I got word from a neighbor that my stepdad was not answering his door of his apartment. So I went there and Rachel went to the nursing home to, to uh, see and be with my mother. And uh, I found my stepfather in horrible shape in the bed, and I had to call 911, and I ended up at, at um, the ER for hours upon hours. And it was hard, and it was frustrating, and I was out of control. 
but here was my, here, here's what I was being faced with. Are you going to trust that you have a good king over you? Or are you going to try to seek control? Are you going to trust that God is seated on his throne, that he has not turned his head for a second, and therefore there's chaos in my life? Or am I going to believe he is very well attentive and he has purpose even in this? You see, this is freedom. This, in fact, is what uh, God came to do. Jesus came to free us from a life of control and worry, from the need to have control to the freedom of trusting him as king over everything. Anxiety is the number one mental illness in our country right now. 40 million adults, 18% of adults, um, uh, struggle with anxiety, and it's probably much higher than that. And it's only getting worse. Uh, for those in ages 13 to 18, 25% um, of all those in that age range are struggling with anxiety. And the treatments that we give are deep breathing and mindfulness, better diet. And friends, do whatever, use those. Medication. I took my Wellbutrin this morning, and I'm going to take it again tomorrow morning. But that's not going to heal me. What will heal me is using whatever I can do to get in connection with the one who reigns over my life that I bow my knee to and I say, you have all control and I don't. I can't be God over my life. And the more I try, the more anxious I become. The, the more I fret over the future, the more, the more I worry, the, the more my body emotionally, spiritually disintegrates. But oh, when I come under your lordship and I experience the presence of the king who loves me, who has adopted me from all eternity and, and paid for me through the very life, death, and resurrection of his own son, who owns me as his own, the, 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 the lover of my soul, when I accept his rule, I am free. And that is where freedom comes. It's not throwing off his rule. It's coming under his rule. Just maybe we weren't built to determine our life's purpose. Maybe we were created to come under God and say, use me whatever your purpose is. That is freedom. We, the, the pressure that we were putting on our children to try to, to, to telling them that they can be whatever they want to be is absolutely killing them because number one, it's simply not true. But number two, it is making them the God of their life, making them the one who has mastery over their destiny. It is not giving them self-confidence. It is killing them because no one is telling them life is not had in trying to figure out who you are. Life is had is, com is, is coming under the kingship of Jesus and receiving who you are in him. You are beloved. Your sins have been atoned for. God is dancing over you in delight. You don't have to do anything or be anything other than his servant and his child. That is freedom. And dear friends, that is where we must live. And then thirdly and finally, King Jesus came in weakness but will return in power. You say, where is Jesus? Where is our king? Believe me, I've been asking that. King Jesus, take control. Uh, come on, Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the wheel. I, I'm, you know, I can't do it. Never uh, quoted Carrie Underwood before, uh, but there you have it. 
Didn't plan on it either. <laughs> Not sure that was the spirit. We'll have to, uh, just kidding. What did Jesus come to do? Jesus came not to judge, but to be judged. In his first coming, he came to be judged, not to judge. Why doesn't God get, do away with all this evil in the world? Because if he did, he'd do you away too. Psalm 143.2, I love this. I've been meditating on this psalm for weeks now. It's a psalm of David, and this is one of the lines. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. We don't want the judgment of God because we won't stand up under it. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No, Jesus came first to be judged. He's coming back in glory to bring judgment. But he came first to be judged, to show that, the, that love wins, that the power of love, the power of goodness, the power of meekness, the power of humility wins over the darkness. He came to empower us to be able to live the very rules of glory in the kingdom, and that is to, 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 to live down, not up on the throne to live in meekness and kindness and goodness, to love even our enemies, to lay our lives down for our enemies. Why? Because he laid his life down for us. And this is what he empowered. He broke some strange magic. I love how C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe portrays this. That this, this covenant with the devil um, that, that, you know, God came to satisfy, namely, if, if he would give himself over to the devil, if he would give himself over um, to evil, and evil had its way with him, then the covenant would be broken because Jesus, indeed, that's what evil did, but Jesus rose again on the third day. Isn't that beautiful? But he rose again on the third day, and that gives me power, therefore, to go low under the obedience and example and power of my king. In that ER, I just think about the power of love, the power of humility, the power of weakness over strength. This is what Christmas calls us to. This is what Jesus lived, died, and rose again to, to empower us for. I was in the ER for I don't know how many hours with my stepdad, and... It, a couple of weeks ago, we prayed for uh, you nurses and doctors and uh, administration of hospitals. I, I don't know how you're doing it, and you probably don't. I do know how you're doing it. You're trusting Jesus <laughs> um, because it's a madhouse, and there weren't enough nurses to go around, and I'm in there with my stepfather for eight hours, and there's some jobs that nurses do that are the very reason I didn't go to nursing school. And yet, there's a nursing shortage. <laughs> and I'm faced with either I can go out in the hallway and start chewing out nurses, or I can do the job that I have no desire to do. And what does King Jesus empower me for? Rachel is taking care of my mother right now because I can't do it. It, it literally, it, 
I'm going this afternoon, but it rips me apart to see the suffering, to see her in the state. It literally, it, it just, it's, I can't even tell you uh, what it does to me. But she goes, and she went yesterday, and she spoon-fed my mother puree carrots, or I don't know what it was. What is more powerful? Is it someone dying for you or someone trying to rule over you? What's going to change the world? Is it going to be love going down? I'm not talking about the mushy love, oh, I love you because you do all the good things. No, I'm talking about the hard part of love, where we die for each other, where we die for others, where we lay our lives down, we, we lay our rights down, as Jesus did, in the power uh, that, that he provides for us because he laid his rights down. And do we go out in that power being loved by Jesus that we might love others? MLK Jr. said this, love is the greatest force in the universe. It's the heartbeat of the moral cosmos. He who loves is a participant in the being of God. That was the whole backbone of his, his peaceful resistance. It was love. N.T. Wright said this, the whole point of the kingdom of God is Jesus has come to bear witness to the true truth, which is nonviolent. When God wants to take charge of the world, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the poor and the meek. That's what Jesus empowers us for. He empowers us not to take control of our lives, but to come under the lordship of Jesus and to do what we would never choose to do. And that is love, and that is lay down our lives, and that is serve, living by faith and not by sight. Is that the Jesus you know? That's the Jesus of the scriptures. Would you believe him today and ask him where he would have you go and what he would have you do? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy Thank you that you went low to raise us high. <laughs> Thank you that, that you humbled yourself under the law and you fulfilled it completely that I might stand here righteous before the Father through faith. Thank you that you became my sin and were cursed so that I can now stand forgiven before the Father. Father, I pray that you would empower a mighty army of meekness and love at downtown church. May we lay our lives down for each other. May our, we lay our lives down for the world, that others might know the power of the king that we serve. We pray this in his name. Amen. May we stand together for the benediction. He'll reach out your hands, receiving the blessing of God upon his people through his word. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.